So continuing, as we said, what are you to do? The fallen Ephesians. You're to do your first works over. You're to repent. First works means you're to remember what it was like when you first came to the Lord, your devotion to him. A Christian must repent of his sins or the blood will not continue to remove sin. See, the Christian, as he walks in the light, he does ignorant sins and faults and fears, and they are covered. But willful sin is not. When he knows something sinful, he has to repent of it or the blood will not cover it. Eventually, it will lead him astray. Eventually, he'll be cut off as a branch. He needs to remember this. And so he said, if you do not repent, I will come and remove your lampstand. You will not be a church anymore. You will have fallen from grace. We don't believe you can fall from grace. Paul didn't teach you about Well, let's go and see what Paul says in Galatians 5, 4. You who have become estranged, it's like the word today, divorced, you're separated, from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. What did Paul say? You have fallen from grace. Well, he was just being hypothetical. That's why you deceived Calvinistic liars are going to hell. Because you keep refusing to see the nose on your face. Jesus said, if you don't bear fruit, my father will cut you off. That every branch in me, you had to be a Christian. He didn't say you was a potential Christian or you might have been. He said you were. He said he'll cut you off. See, the whole of Christianity. That's why I teach and that's why I'm not popular. Because I don't teach what most teach. Most teach heresy. Most ministers and teachers are afraid of the people. It isn't going to do them a bit of good. Even Jesus said, why should you fear man? The worst he can do is is kill your body. He says, you should fear him. And he meant God, who can not only destroy the body, but cast your soul into hell. And then immediately he said to the disciples, but you don't have to fear. It's God's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. But he was saying, if you're going to fear, fear God. He can have eternal consequences with you. Proverbs says the fear of man is a snare. A person should never preach or teach at all if they're not beyond the fear of man. Oh, it may be a temptation, but it will not rule him. See? That's why the Apostle James says, after they were teaching heresies, you can be saved by faith alone and faith and not works. Three times he answers them. He said, you fools. A man is justified by his works and not his faith. Oh, see, his works prove that he's got the real faith. And then he immediately says, even though it's another chapter, the chapter wasn't there. He said, not many of you should become teachers. Why? Because you're foolish, you're stupid. That's why. He said, not many of you should become teachers, for we shall receive the strict judgment. So God is saying, I'll hold you accountable. If you're not going to teach the truth, don't teach at all. You'll have less to answer for. Like James says, if you control your tongue, you're a perfect man. If you can cut your tongue out and don't talk, it's better than slander and gossip and other things. 
He said, if you can control your tongue, you're a perfect man. And so James was saying, you shouldn't be teachers. So they were teaching that nonsense that they're still teaching. Oh, you just confess Jesus as Lord and you're saved forever. And once saved, always saved. They're going to be once lost, always lost. They're going to find, that's why they're going to weep and gnash their teeth for eternity when they realize how stupid they were, okay? And I don't mind saying this stupid. Jesus called people fools. He called his own disciples fools. And they were afraid to ask him questions. He would get on them. See, he wasn't all nicety to them. He expected more from them. And he said, by now you should excel in these things. And they were still squabbling over who the greatest was. Jesus sitting there talking about how he was going to die for them. And they're arguing who's the greatest among them. What a bunch he had to deal with, huh? Uh, So, uh, again, Paul says, you have fallen from grace. Christ will leave as a whole, and they will not be a church. They will not be the city on the hill, which we are at now. Very few churches are cities on the hill. It's left to the candles when the Lord comes back. See, even Jesus said, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith? Will he find real Christianity? He left it as a question mark. Will he find faith? That doesn't speak well. And see, we'll see when he deals with the other churches what the answer is to them. To hold on to your crown and let no one rob you. What's your crown of salvation? Your walk with the Lord. So he will imply it can be taken from you and you can forfeit it if you go back to the world. Verse 6. Yet this you do have. So he goes back to commending the whole church that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Oh, this is a big one here. You don't hear much talking about the Nicolaitans because they're more like the Calvinistic. Once saved, always saved. That's what you don't hear about them. They don't want to bring you back to these people. They forget they're existent. They were back during Paul's time and John's time. What were the main teachings of the Nicolaitans? That because a person was saved, that's Calvinism, in spirit, one could not sin in his spirit, so therefore he could sin all he want with his soul and body. That's ultra-Calvinism, a license to sin. Can't you see why God's going to send them to hell? They say, oh, your spirit's saved, it can never sin, you just sin with your soul and body, and it don't matter. That's why they don't emphasize holiness. That's why they don't emphasize repentance. See? Just say this little prayer and everything's covered. No, it's not. Even Paul said the Jew who did not keep the law, his circumcision was counted as uncircumcision, which means he was a heathen, a dog. We called him a dog. So it's nice that you're circumcised. You had to be, to be in the covenant. But if you broke the law, the main points of law, he was saying that your circumcision doesn't mean Nothing. So a Christian who claims to be a Christian and confesses Jesus Lord and he gets baptized and he still lives in immorality and fornication and like the world, he is lost. I don't know whether he was saved for five minutes or not, but it didn't last long. I doubt it because he didn't truly repent. I've had people years ago tell me that they were Christians. I was, yeah, 
And then I find out they've been living a life of fornication for five years. I said, you're not a Christian. Well, I said this prayer, and but I said, well, you were lied to. You never repented. This is gross sin. Did you ever stop it? No. Well, then you're not a Christian. Very plain and simple, okay? And God sends the lying spirit to those who don't want the truth. That's why most of Christianity is on its way to hell. What's called Christianity. Most of them are saying, Lord, Lord. And he's going to say, I never knew you. You workers of lawlessness. Uh, he cast them into hell. You're cursed of my father. Never once do you find a Christian being cursed by God. He has to be unchristianized before he's cursed. So you must realize this. That's what happened to King Saul. He was God's anointed and king, and the spirit of Jehovah came on him. At times, the Lord spoke to him in visions and dreams and by prophets. And when God rejected him after testing him several times, it says, the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord came to terrorize him. And when he was trying to drum up Samuel, he said, the Lord doesn't speak to me anymore in dreams and visions. Or by prophets. See, God had rejected him. Well, that was the Old Testament. Yes, and Paul said, study it. He said, for it, or examples of what God will do to you that in Christ, if you rebel against him. He, he warned you in Corinthians. He says, Christ will send some, he'll do the same thing he did to the old. What do you think he mentioned it for? Well, it was just a hypothetical if. No, it wasn't. <laughs> he meant it. See, the Lord doesn't threaten people needlessly unless he intends, if there's not compliance, if the person doesn't repent, he intends to carry through with his threat. If at any time, Ezekiel again, a people or a nation that I prophesy, he sends a prophet and tells them I will be good to them and give them certain blessings. He said, if they turn to wickedness, I will repent of the goodness I intended to do them, and I'll send them evil. I will repay them for their sin. That's the law of prophecy. Uh, people say, oh, well, God, don't go back on his word. That says he does. <laughs> it says he does. If you don't keep your word, he don't have to keep his. Why do you think he broke his covenant with the Jews? Why do you think he went to the Gentiles? Because generation and generation rebelled against him. Like Paul said, they judged themselves unworthy of the kingdom. And God cut them off from the true church, whoever was really saved, and he grafted the Gentiles and the church. But notice what he says to them. People aren't hearing that, especially Calvinistic people. He said, and unless you remain, it means continue, in his goodness, you will be cut off also. And he said, isn't it easier that those who backslid to be grafted back in if they repent. So he's telling the church, you can end up the same way if you don't abide in his goodness. That means obeying him. See, that's what it means. So you can see that there's a lot of false teaching out there. And the people love it so. But what will they do at the end? So the Nicolaitans believe this that you could do what you wanted with your soul and body because Christ saved your spirit and you couldn't have sinned in it. Sounds like once saved, always saved, don't it? The spirit and soul are the person. They are not separated. 
There is no sin that doesn't affect the whole man. The heretic perverts scripture in Hebrews. These people, like the heretics today, thought that the spirit could not sin. Okay? They misinterpreted Hebrews chapter 4. Oh, I've had more static with people and upset people over this in the past years when I used to counsel more. Okay. Hebrews 4, 12. This word here is often, like I say, it's perverted. Remember, especially Calvinistic people, so you'll pick this up. For the word of God is alive and powerful, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the vision of the soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Sounds good. You go to the original, okay? And it doesn't say that it separates the soul from the spirit. Seems like it here, doesn't it? No, it doesn't. What he's saying is the word of God divides the soul and divides the spirit. That gets a greater division. See, they're not separated. The soul and the spirit are what makes the personality. One doesn't go to heaven and one go to hell. They go to the same place. Without your soul, you're not you. Without your spirit, you're not you. See? He's just teaching, as Paul did with the fruits of the spirit. He called it the fruit of the spirit, singular. Why? Because you can't lack any of them and be a Christian. Works of the flesh are different. They could be all kinds of. But not. But see, the Christian's like a diamond with many facets. You can't take the facet away. But the facet explains the diamond more. And that's why he does these things at time. Well, the heretic says, oh, well, he separated the soul from the spirit, and the spirit cannot sin. John says he cannot abide in sin. Doesn't say he cannot sin. It means he cannot live in sin and remain a Christian. See how they pervert that scripture? Oh, they say, well, once you're born again, your spirit cannot sin. Well, that's a lie. That's a bold-faced lie. It'll send you to hell. Okay? A Christian can do what he wants to do before and after he's saved. He can continue with the Lord and he can discontinue with the Lord. What do you think that 40% of the epistles are warnings, admonishments, reproofs and rebukes for the Christian to stay with the Lord and not fall away. Why would he warn them? Why would he give all of that warning and encouragement if they were saved? Anyway, he could say, oh, don't worry about it. Set it up. You don't find that. You find that the heretic teaches that. See, that's why the people love him so much. Okay? So they say the word separates the soul from the spirit. No. The original, it separates the soul and it separates the spirit. Okay, we've got to see the word knows how to divide. It simply means that God's word gets to the motive and the intent and nothing's hidden from the Lord. He sees everything. Actually, the scripture says the Old Testament that the light and the dark are the same to him. He sees the organs of your body that live in complete darkness. He sees under the ocean all the animals and plants that he made that people never could see until they had scuba gear. See? But he saw it. And he saw it as it is. And see, he says the light and darkness is the same to the Lord. Okay? 
So God, we could see, implied that the Spirit can send. If you go to First Thessalonians, I love to dance around these scriptures. Again, don't waste time with a false shepherd. You don't find any place in the scripture where many of them, or any of them, came back to the Lord. They're like the hypocrite. They receive the greater damnation because they misguide people and they're responsible. And these people are responsible for their sins, but the teacher is going to be more responsible for not wanting them. Like he said, Ezekiel, if they were true prophets, they would have turned my people from their evil ways and doings. That was the true prophet, okay? It wasn't pacify. What do you think these churches have multitudes of people? Because they like what they hear. And it pacifies them. And don't talk much about sin or wrath and judgment. Oh, we're saved. We don't need to hear about that. They're going to find out when it's too late. They should have heard about these things. Okay. First Thessalonians 5. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Have you been completely sanctified? It's implied here that you hadn't. That he was working with people still. And may your whole spirit, the complete spirit, complete soul and body be preserved blameless at the coming of the Lord. And he who calls you is faithful, who will do it. He will bring it to pass. See, if the person stays on the path. Uh, so it means his whole spirit and soul, and sometimes in some individuals, falls into sin. And it's not walking in sanctification. And God chases the person, as he said in Hebrews, because they're his. They're not bastards. If they fail to comply, then God's punishment is grievous toward them. It can be conflict. It can be sickness. It can be many things. And what is the purpose? That they repent and come back to the Lord and produce holiness. Holiness is the opposite of living in sin. So he says when they stop sinning and pen, then holiness is there. And then the apostle says something interesting. For without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. So if you claim to be a Christian and you think you have a license to sin or to be carnal, you're going to be fooled at the day of judgment. You ever figure out why people in hell weep and gnash the teeth? It's not just a torment of hell. It's regret of how foolish and stupid they were and that they can't do anything about it and God has turned his back on them. That's the horror of hell. Now, has your teacher and minister talked about hell occasionally? Well, something's wrong. And not just once a year? Okay. So the Lord implies you can sin. There's another scripture by Paul. I can't recall it right now, but he talks about this, the spirit being purified. Well, what does it need to be purified for if it's already perfect? See, people don't use common sense when they want to believe a lie. Okay, so the person, like John said, he cannot live in sin. Even the translations that say cannot sin, the person that is born again cannot. If you look at the root word, it means he cannot continue in a sinful state. That's what it means. See, sometimes the translators don't translate as good as they should. That's why we go back 
And that's what's good that every generation is new translations as long as they translate the spirit of the word. Okay. For instance, King James Version. All the newer translations, they take a scripture and some of them are good. They correct King James in old English. But one of them, all of them say basically that a divisive person you don't have nothing to do with. The scripture doesn't say that. King James leaves the proper word. He says a heretic. You warn twice or three times and you have nothing to do with them. See, a divisive person just means someone who argues and debates. Heretic is a strong word. It means a person is lost and believes false doctrine. It should not have been tampered with. Some of the newer translations, they do away with the word. Instead of saying homosexual, sodomite, they don't like that word. They translate, they are abusers of the earth. No, they're not. They're abusers of the soul. Fornication says you sin against your own soul. And they'll go to hell. See, they tried to beat the word of God to make it popular into a spoon instead of a sword. But it's okay to translate if you translate properly, okay? Verse 7. Now he ends his little message to the Ephesians. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Holy Spirit is means, says to the churches. So he's saying, if you have an ear, that was a common expression back then, then listen. If you have proper eyes, then see. Use them. That's what he's meant. Use your ear, because often what you hear is going to be from a minister or a teacher or another Christian brother. God often uses them to exhort and to warn. I've heard people say, well, now that I have the Holy Spirit... I don't need them on the word. You're lost. You're on your way to hell, you self-righteous person. You need them more. For the teacher and the minister, unless he's anointed of God, you can't spiritually get anything. And the word of God, it's the spirit who inspired the prophets and apostles to write it. And you cannot properly understand it lest the Spirit opens your understanding. See, that's why many intellectual people can quote Scripture, yet they're not saved. They can quote Scripture better than you can, but they're not saved. That's why Paul prayed to the church of Ephesus, that God will give you the spirit of wisdom and understanding. If he doesn't give it, you can read the word all day long, and it's not going to help you spiritually. So that's why many people think they're saved, and they are not saved. And many people say, Lord, Lord, but they've not been born of the Spirit, and the Spirit's not living in them. But they can sure, I know a man, and he's still alive today. And I heard him when I was 19, and I'm almost 70, and he could quote the whole New Testament. But he was a Calvinistic false teacher. What good did it do him? He didn't learn much, did he? Okay. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now he says, to him, the individual who overcomes. See, you can't overcome as a church. God holds individuals responsible. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Now, each thing he promises to each church applies to all the churches. He uses them to emphasize 
what he's doing. Okay, Matthew chapter 13, 20 and 21. Another word that refutes the once saved, always saved. They don't like to bring it up to uh, dance around it. But notice what he says. And anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. That means when he doesn't take seriously what God is speaking to him. This is he who receives seed by the wayside. But he receives the seed or stony places that is he who hears the word and he receives it with joy. He gets saved. Hello. They don't want to say that. But he receives it with joy. The joy of his salvation. That's wonderful, isn't it? 21. Yet he has no root in himself. See, he doesn't get rooted. But he endures for a little while. He stays with the Lord for a little while. He's a baby Christian. That's precious. But he don't study scripture. He don't obey. He doesn't do what the Lord requires him. And so something happens to him. He's not prepared. For when tribulation or persecution arises, and this comes to all Christians, he's going to test that person. Because of the word, immediately he stumbles. See, that's why these people lie to. Just confess Jesus and you'll be saved. Doesn't tell them that trouble's going to come being a Christian, that he's entered a warfare, and that if he doesn't overcome, he will fall back into the world. See, the false teachers don't tell them that because they're deceived themselves. And what he say? And so he says what he becomes unfruitful. But immediately he stumbles. Why does he stumble? Because he doesn't take root well. He doesn't get grounded. See, his sins are forgiven. And he don't take seriously the warnings of how to stay there. And how to obey the Lord. And how to overcome evil and sin every day. And so he immediately stumbles. Something happens in his life and he thoughts to blame God. See, he thought when he came to the Lord, everything would be hunky-dory. It will not. When Jesus, through Paul, when he preached the gospel to the Gentiles, immediately he said, and this was those who believed and became disciples, immediately he said, through much tribulation, we enter the kingdom. Those who will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. If your Christianity doesn't cost you, it means you've compromised with false people. It means you've compromised with the world. That's what it means. You've compromised with the flesh. See? So tribulation doesn't always have to come through people. It comes by resisting the flesh. See? Creates trouble. Jesus said, take up your cross daily and follow me. That means that it costs you that your will sometimes is to want something else that the Lord doesn't want. And so you as a true Christian, you give up what you desire and you obey the Lord. That's what it means. It doesn't mean like the false teacher, the prosperity people, that God's going to give you everything you want, you want, and you're going to live a happy, wonderful life, and angels go watch over everything you do. This is a bunch of nonsense. See? People want to believe that. 
Eternity is a long time to believe a lie and to be found false. That's what I tell people. So through much tribulation, he said, you'll end the king. Who? Why, the very gates of heaven are made of 12 pearls. What do pearls mean? No one gets in without suffering. It's the way of suffering. Aha! See? They get offended and they fall away because things don't work out. Well, they're supposed to be dead. When you come to the Lord, you're supposed to give up your life. These things shouldn't shock you. They should encourage us that we are in the Lord's way. He said, if you, if you live for the Lord, he said, you world will hate you. They don't like a do-gooder. They haven't changed. They want everybody to be like, like them and live and let live. Well, God's not going to let them live and let live. He's going to hold them responsible for the wickedness of the life. So as we said, he's going to each church. To each church, he says, I know your works. Or he explains their works. And to him that overcomes. Isn't that interesting? Every church, the ones who did good as a whole and the ones who did bad. Even the churches he had nothing bad to say about, he still ends his encouragement, exhortation with, he that overcomes. He didn't imply that they, because they're overcoming and they're walking in the spirit, they don't have to worry about anything. He's talking about the future. See? As long as a person has a will, he can do as he please. God does not override the spirit or the person, which is the lie. The spirit can sin. See? He doesn't override it. Demons, in a sense, possess and override people, not the spirit of the Lord. Even the prophets, who Paul said had the greatest ministries. This is a greater prophecy. He told him to seek it. He said, but when the prophets speak, let them speak two or three and let the others judge. See, they could give something false. They could misguide people unintentionally. They're subject to failure. And so he said, the others are to judge what they say, to make sure it's sound. Or if it's not sound, they were to correct it. So let the others judge. And he says something interesting. The spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. The gifting through the Holy Spirit. And he may use angels because it's applied when the gifts are in operation. Angels are present. They have something to do with it. Many times God uses the angels too. And he said it's subject to them. Even the Holy Spirit is subject to the prophet. He does not make the prophet speak. He encourages, he inspires, he can anoint, but that prophet could say no. Or he can give the prophecy at the proper time. It may not be right then. But it's subject to him. Why is it subject to him? Because he's held accountable and responsible to the Lord for everything he utters. See, he is to test the spirit, as John says, to see whether it's of God. Sometimes the Christian prophet has to listen. And sometimes a false prophet spirit tries to get in. Sometimes the devil tries to slip him a mickey as he's to test it. If he's not sure it's the Lord, he's to keep quiet. And if he really thinks it's the Lord, he lets the other prophets judge what's being said. Is it in harmony with Scripture? 
You see, a true prophet of the Lord speaks God's words. But a backslide prophet, see, and anybody can backslide like Balaam did. He can give the word of God, the truth, but his motive can be to get money. He could be covetous. That's what damned Balaam. Every prophecy came true. And under the hold, he said, I can't go beyond the word that the Lord gives me. Why can't I? Because he'll kill me with the sword. See, he threatened him. Because the spirit of the prophets is still subject to the prophets. If you're going to speak, you speak what I say and nothing more. That's what the spirit told him. And the angel sat there with the sword and said, remember this. If you don't speak the truth. See, because he had already backslid because of his covetousness and his greed. And later on, because he couldn't prophesy falsely, he counseled the people of Balaam how to cause the Israelites to sin. And he says, and if they sin, the Lord will turn against them. He counseled them for evil. And when Joshua and the people took over the land, they sought out Balaam and they killed him with the sword because he was false then. See, But he gave true prophecies. And at one time he says, Jehovah, my God. But he let money like the prosperity people. See, they're in that category. They'll use the word of God and this and that, but the real motive often is greed. They like a mega church. More people you have, more money you get. See? More people you please, the more money you get. See, they've understood the system. It's a money-making system. Though James said, not many of you should be teachers. See, he saw the danger. He said, if you can't handle certain things, don't do it. It'll lead you to destruction. Too much money, he said. Seven times or so in the epistles, Peter included and Jude, there's not one time that he encourages having wealth. But several times he warns the Christian, if you have wealth, be rich in good works and lay up a good foundation. He said, be careful how you use your money. If you use it for self-indulgence and a high life, you're not going to make it to the kingdom. You love this world more than you do Christ. See, So he doesn't say you can't have it, but those who have it, he warns them. He said it leads many to hell. That's what Paul said. I didn't say it. You that would be rich. See, if you desire to be rich, he says that money will lead you from God. Most Christians cannot handle large sums of money. Didn't say all the rich taxpayer obviously could, but the Young ruler, Jesus said, get rid of everything. And he wouldn't have taken 95%. He wanted everything. Okay, let's close here, and we'll start next week with the next church. Father, in Jesus' name, give us wisdom, cause us to be bold, to be baptized with your spirit, is to have boldness to speak your word in and out of season. In Jesus' name, amen.